Just a heads up, this episode contains strong language. I used to think that I had discovered the best method for writing songs. I would spend literally hundreds of hours using music theory to construct the best possible melody and lyrics. I wanted all of the syllables in each of the words to match up with my melody exactly, which is part of why it took such a long time, because it was very hard to get everything to fit. But eventually, I had a conversation with a friend from college that made me question everything. Hello and welcome to Everyone Special and No One Is, a podcast about obscure, misunderstood, and or controversial topics related to music. The clip you just heard was a recording of a conversation I had with Autumn Bicey, a songwriting major at Belmont. Um, Since then, we've both graduated. She graduated about two years before I did. But this is a conversation that we had when I went to her asking for advice on how should I handle songwriting? How should I handle writing songs by myself versus writing with other people? And we just had this heart-to-heart conversation at the house that she was renting at the time. And I actually, I asked her to record the conversation, not because I was ever thinking of, you know, sampling it or putting it into a podcast, but I was just genuinely wanting to be like, okay, this is an important conversation. I have a lot of things that I want to ask, and I think the pursuing conversation will end up being important to me to listen back to it later just for my own personal benefit, that it would be nice to have a fixed recording of it. Because, you know, I I did take very detailed notes at the time in all my classes, and I got very good at, you know, typing notes and getting down most of the important information. But at the same time, it would help me be more present in the conversation to just have a recording instead of taking notes. So that's why I wanted to do the recording, and she was totally fine with it. She was like, yeah, that's chill. So I basically, I just, I put my phone face down on the table. I opened the voice memo app and pressed record. And it was just sitting there on the table as we're having this long emotional conversation. And, you know, pretty soon it's like, we definitely both forgot that the phone was even there recording because we just got lost in the conversation. But just the fact that this audio recording even exists is makes me so happy because <laughs> this is a snapshot of a point in my life where I was very unsure of myself, very conflicted, very not sure where to go with my pursuit of music. So it's just like I've already listened back to it several times and 
it's like an hour and 40 minutes long. <laughs> so there's no way that I'm playing the entire recording on this podcast because that is too long. Maybe that'll be a maybe that'll be a bonus exclusive content later uh but for the moment I just wanted to do a podcast episode reflecting on this conversation, how it impacted my life, and playing back more clips from that conversation because I think honestly the clips are very very interesting. What she was saying to me, the advice that she gave me is very very interesting and Let's just get into it. Uh, I do have to give just a little bit of background in order for this to all make sense. Um, basically, this is coming from the point in my life where if you've followed these series of episodes in the podcast where I've talked about my story, um, I've just been getting so in-depth into songwriting theory. I've been accepted in the Belmont Songwriting Program finally after four tries, and now it's like <gasps> I can dig into melodic math and the ratios of tones and the equations that make up the way that frequencies are perceived by our ear. You know, <laughs> I was getting really, really, really into it and spending so many hours. I, I I had spent 350 hours writing a song before, and I had just finished writing a song that took me about 90 hours to write, um, which was the Refugees song that I talked about in the previous episode. Anyway, so coming off of these really, really long, intensive projects that require so much time, commitment, planning, and emotional energy, and getting back, you know, into the now the fall semester of my sophomore year of college, and just really learning about a lot of things. And I was in the, um, I was in two organizations at the time. Well, I guess three. So I was in the Songwriters Association, the Copyright Society, and Grammy U. Um, maybe a fourth one, I'm not sure, but these were all just like extracurricular clubs that I was involved in. They were not for any school credit whatsoever. I was just genuinely interested in learning about the music industry and learning about songwriting. And it was really cool because they had a combination of bringing in industry guests, like music industry veterans that have lots of experience to just give seminars and give talks and answer questions. So they did a combination of that and just, you know, individually organized events by the students. The student leaders of the organizations would just give presentations and give talks and facilitate just conversations among students. And Autumn Bicey was on the both of the leadership panels for the Songwriters Association and the Copyright Society. And I looked up to her a lot. She was like my role model almost. And I just like, she was the person who I met when I was not even a Belmont student, when I was still a senior in high school. And I was touring Belmont because I was considering going to Belmont. And she was the one that I sat down with and had a very long conversation about the Belmont song writing program that ultimately convinced me to go to the school in the first place. <laughs> um, it was a very random, very random circumstance just meeting her 
at the school because I didn't know anyone when I was going to tour Belmont for the first time. And it was just literally, I was scared. I was timid. I was introverted. I did not feel confident to say hi or introduce myself to anyone. But my mom and I were in the cafeteria and we were kind of on our way out, but like looking for the bathroom because (laughs) we did not know where the bathroom is at the time. And so my mom ended up just, I, I would have been too scared to do this. She just went up to a random student and was like, hey, do you know where the bathroom is? The student's like, yeah, here, follow me. It's just around this corner. And then, of course, the student was like, are, are you are you visiting or something? Are you touring? And my mom was like, yes, actually, my son Martin is considering going to Belmont. And she was like, oh, that's cool. What What's he thinking of majoring in? And it was like, oh, well, he wants to do songwriting. And then the student perked up and she's like, oh, that's great. My friend is actually a songwriting major. She's over there by the burger line getting a burger right now. Let me introduce you to her. So this was how I got introduced to Autumn Bicey through <laughs> her friend while my mom was asking to go to the bathroom. But anyway, so that that's how I met up with Autumn at Belmont when I was touring. And then Um, We had this very long conversation, and she convinced me that Belmont has the best songwriting program of any school in the nation, and that I should definitely go there. I mean, that was not what she said to me verbatim, but that was the conclusion that I came to after talking it through with her. You know, I did a whole podcast episode on that, so I'm not going to get into it too detailed here in this episode. (laughs) Anyway... So that was how we met. Then uh, she helped me. She gave me advice. She kind of mentored me when I was trying to get accepted in the program, but I kept, you know, not getting in. And then finally I did get accepted and I texted her. I was like, hey, Autumn, I made it in. And it was like this big victorious moment. Um, And then, of course, me also being in the clubs that I mentioned, the Belmont University Songwriter Association and the Copyright Society, both, you know, music industry focused clubs and just sitting in the in the school building and like listening to autumn give a talk about copyright law <laughs> like i was just like this person knows so much this person is so cool she is an amazing musician and very knowledgeable and it was just like you know i i definitely put her on a pedestal so when it came time around September, and there was a Songwriters Association event that was like this mixer event where it was sort of a little bit more personal rather than just one person giving a talk. They were kind of having like like the equivalent of today's Zoom breakout rooms. They just had like these smaller group conversations. And when I was in a small group with Autumn, she was talking about how co-writing is absolutely necessary to be a commercial songwriter. If you are not an artist, and if your goal is to write songs that get cut by other artists and then released so that, you know, you can actually make an income on songwriting, then you absolutely have to co-write. Because the growing trend is that while you could just get together with some other songwriters who are not artists and then pitch it to an artist, that is going away dramatically. And it's so much easier if you are already co-writing with an artist and you write a song with them that they really enjoy and then they decide to release it. That is how so many songwriters get cuts and it's become like a necessary absolutely critical (laughs) to the world of commercial songwriting. You know, if you just want to write songs in your bedroom and have them not go anywhere, then that's fine. You can do that. But 
if you are not an artist and you don't have the easy means to sing or release them yourself, but you do want to get other people to release them, then co-writing is the way to go. So she was talking about how she co-writes like four to five times a week, and she had been doing that already for a very long time. And it's like super easy to meet and connect with co-writers. You just say, hey, yo, you want to have a co-writing session sometime? And it's just a really fun thing to do and a really great way to get to know people. Um, she was saying how she usually blocks out three hours in her calendar for each co-writing session, and she never, ever, ever had canceled a co-writing session because... If you're serious about being a songwriter and you want to co-write and do the grind, then why would you cancel? <laughs> you shouldn't cancel. You should show up to every single co-write. Don't make any excuses. Don't be like, oh, I'm busy or, oh, my friend's in town. It's like, no, you scheduled this. This is on your calendar now. You got to show up. So she was basically just walking through how to do the co-writing thing and why you should do it and being very, very persuasive about it. And it's also worth noting that this was not the very first time that I'd ever heard about co-writing being important. I had heard that message several times, countless times before that, in various seminars where guests would come and talk about their, you know, just the music industry and their experience and things. Um, for instance, Garth Brooks, when he came to Belmont, he told me that I should co-write, <laughs> you know, that that's an important thing. Um, so it's like, this is not the first time I'm hearing this, but this is the first time just hearing it from Autumn that was the most persuasive I'd ever heard it. Because before then, it was kind of like, oh yeah, co-writing is a thing. But Autumn basically spelled it out. No, you need to co-write. If you want to be successful, you need to do that. And I had done it before. I had, I think, at the point of having this conversation with Autumn, I had already done like three co-writing sessions in Nashville and like two or three in Minnesota. And I just had mixed feelings about the idea of co-writing, the idea of sitting down in a room with somebody and writing a song in, you know, a matter of a couple of hours. Anytime I'd been in a room co-writing with someone, it's like, I always felt like I was compromising in some way because I was not spending as much time at it as I needed to in order to be 100% confident that these melodies are exactly what they need to be because I've done all the music theory and the melodic math and they line up perfectly with the chords and the lyrics and it works really, really well. You know, if I'm in a co-writing session and it's taking, you know, about one to three hours, then... <laughs> <laughs> the problem is that you can't do that. You can't be as analytical with another person. By definition, by bringing somebody else into your creative process, you are signing up to do it more efficiently because you have to work uh you have to work with their schedule, you know? So I I was very conflicted about this because on one hand, I understood that co-writing is how the industry works. It's how people get songs and get cuts and eventually they get hits, <laughs> you know, and every songwriter wants hits so that they can be successful. But I was just like, ah, why, why couldn't I just, you know, spend all this time writing the songs alone in my bedroom and then pitch them to songwriters or sorry, pitch them to artists who have the potential to release them. And obviously they'll understand that like my songs are great and they'll want to cut it because they know how good it is. You know, like that was the plan that I had in my head. Yet that plan, that dream was slowly slipping away because of all of the rejection that I was getting. 
in. I thought that obviously I would get into the songwriting program at Belmont on my first try, but it took four tries to get in. Even though I had spent, you know, hundreds of hours writing the individual songs that it took for me to get in on those first two attempts, they did not see my genius is kind of what I thought. They did not recognize that these were perfectly flawless songs. And that was really, really hard to wrap my head around. So that rejection, the rejection that I faced in the songwriting class when we were, when I was finally in the program, um, when the industry guests came in and critiqued our songs. And I talked about that last time. It was just like, all of this, all of this feedback that Martin, your songs are not actually all that good. It was just really hard to take. And of course I took it personally. How can you not take that personally when you spend so much of your time and emotional energy and channel that all into a single three-minute song? It's like, how can you not take it personally when someone says that it's not good? So, so I'm coming into this conversation with Autumn in a very vulnerable, very fragile place. And I still have these mixed feelings in my head of like, well, I get it that I probably should co-write, but also I can't reconcile that with my desire to make my songs 100% perfectly flawless in terms of the syllables lining up and the melodies working how I want them to with all the tones and the melodic math and everything. So it's like, what do I do? How do I move forward? So I basically, I was just asking Autumn for her advice and her feedback. And I actually, I prepared a PowerPoint presentation going through all of these things and like laying out all of my reasons for why I was conflicted and why I had mixed feelings about it. And so the first thing I did when I sat down with Autumn was to just show her this PowerPoint presentation and talk through it all and explain to her where I was coming from. And it got really vulnerable. I was like admitting that I have a superiority complex being like thinking that songs should always be 100% flawless in terms of the syllables lining up every single line that has the melody. There's no line where the lyrics are like close, but there's like one extra syllable or one syllable that's taken away. Like I would always judge that and other people like, oh, obviously they're not writing songs as smartly or intelligently as I am because I can do those things. Like... <laughs> Anne Rand taught me that I was above everyone else. And even though I had slowly been eroding that and like doing my best to respect other people and the work that they do, I was still having a really hard time with that. To be honest, I was having a hard time just wrapping my head around the fact that you can write a song that is not 100% flawless and it can still be a really great song. And in a lot of cases, it can end up being better than the song that is technically flawless because it connects more emotionally with the audience. You know, I was having a really, really hard time wrapping my head around that, but I wanted to go to Autumn to talk about these things and talk about my mixed feelings. So after going through that whole PowerPoint presentation where she was basically just sitting and listening, we get into the conversation and the kind of the first question that I was asking her is, how can you, Autumn, as someone who is extremely analytical and knows so much about music theory, how can you sit down and write a song in, you know, three hours or less? Like, that just doesn't make any sense to me. 
how can you, knowing what you know about music theory, just sit down and like come up with melodies off the top of your head and not care whether or not they make sense considering all of the music theory. So th- so this was the place where the question is coming from and this is where I will now transition back into the audio of our conversation. So here is how she reacted to that. Because Martin Luther King understand everything you said about meditation. I agree with you. Parallel structure. Yes. A lot of prosody. Yes. Tension. Yes. Do you have any any new fucking music theory books I have in there? <laughs> I, all that shit. I love that shit. Yeah. I read a book called Equal Temperament that was about the history of equal tempered piano and talking about the four three ratios and all of the craziest ratios. Martin, I probably don't know this shit as well as you do because you're fucking crazy. But I know this shit. I love this shit. Yeah. I love this yeah. shit. I watch the fucking videos. I do all that shit. Yeah, yeah. And whenever I sit down with people about this, I'm usually saying you need to look into the craft of song anymore. You need to look more into parallel structure. You need to look more into melodic prosody. You need to more look into rhythmic prosody. You need to look into um, how melodies work. You have to look into slant rhymes. You have to... Martin, that's literally... I've never told anybody any advice but that. I say you need to have more specific lyrics. You need more relatable. You need... Martin... I'm going to tell you something that I've literally never given advice on in anything. You need to be, you need to think about the craft less. And when I say less, I mean like 27 times less. That's what I think. Obviously, I can't think anything of what I think. So throughout a lot of this conversation, as we're really getting into these topics, I'm like hysterically laughing or like, like it almost sounds like I'm like laugh crying. I'm not like sad. If anything, I'm just like happy and excited and almost like, I don't know, uh, <laughs> like in disbelief that this conversation is even happening and that we're having it because I had been, you know, thinking about these topics for so long and like it, it affects so much of my life for this to be like the main thing that I'm focusing on with my creative efforts and going to school for songwriting and trying to, you know, get into that professionally and all. So just to be having this conversation about this thing that's so important to me and just to have her confidently say with with no ounce of uncertainty whatsoever <laughs> that I need to think about songwriting 27 times less. Like, I was just like, oh my gosh, she is, she's probably right. But also, wow, I am still on the fence about it. It was a very strange feeling to be in this conversation with her. So the next clip that I'm going to play is just shortly after, um, Shortly after what she just said about the 27 times, um, she started getting into a story about this professional songwriter she heard while she was a student at UC Denver. She actually transferred to Belmont after originally being at UC Denver. And anyway, the songwriter that gave a talk there was a really influential talk on her life, and she talks about how that was impactful. Do, do you know Tim Bruner? Girl with Katy Perry. He used to, like, he came in to speak when I was at school at Denver. And he came in and he said, a great songwriter has to live an amazing life. At least an exciting life. Because they have to have things to write about. And if they don't, they have to know exciting people so they can write about that. And they need to read exciting novels and do exciting things. And they need to have a life worth writing about. So that night, I went out with my best friend. And we 
there's this one building in Denver. It's the highest building in Denver. Mm-hmm. It's like the Hyatt Hotel. Oh. And you can't get to the top floor unless you're a patron of the hotel. And we literally dead ass like snuck in and climbed to the fucking top level and like saw the city from the highest. It was so cool. It was so cool. And I was like, that's fucking it. And it's like, okay, yeah, it's cool. Safe from the top. We get to the top. And it was on the 32nd floor of that building, the top thing in Denver, that I realized I was fucking in love with my friend. (laughs) <laughs> and then I wrote tons of songs about it. Uh, you know what I mean? Uh-huh. Like, that's how life works. Things for Martin to do. Ready? Yeah. Number one, fall in love. <laughs> that's, like, literally your songwriting will completely fucking change. Like, literally, like, most bitches, I'm like, if you want to be a good songwriter, you should probably break up with your boyfriend and start co-writing more. That's the legit the shit that I said. And with you, I'm saying you should literally probably songwrite three times less. Fall in love. Um, get ready. I'm just gonna write down all the shit. I have a friend who writes songs, and he also says that once I get into a relationship, my songs. No, it's good. not even this thing of like, oh, you need to be in a relationship for good songs. It's not. This is just a list of things. This is what, shit what you that you should fucking do. Yeah. Just to like fucking live life. Um, <laughs> okay, ready? So this is Jump not... off a waterfall. Ooh, that sounds fun. So Autumn starts making this list of things that I should do in order to live my life. And ultimately, after this, after talking through it all, the list was number one, fall in love. Number two, get hammered. Number three, have a one night stand. Number four, jump off a waterfall. Number five, go on a road trip with friends. Number six, eat a whole pizza by yourself in one sitting. Number seven, dog sit for strangers. And when I asked Autumn, why dog sit for strangers? She said, I just did that. That was crazy shit. It would never repeat. It was fucking awful. Um, why are you recommending it then? Because, holy shit, have you ever lived with a hound dog? New perspective on life. <laughs> now, every time something shitty happens, I'm like, at least I don't live with a fucking hound dog. And number eight was play the left turn game. Dude, play the, have you played the left turn game? You can only take left turns to get yes. where you're going to go. And then once you finally can't turn left anymore, uh-huh. you have to do something fun there. That sounds really cool. <laughs> awesome. It's super fucking fun. And number nine, drive home at sunrise, because there's nothing more cathartic than being out all night with your friends, and by the time you're finally driving home, the sun is already rising. So I saved this list. Uh, She wrote it down on a piece of notebook paper, and I literally brought it back to my dorm, my college dorm, and I taped it to the wall right above the spot where I had my desk. And I just looked at it all the time, and I was like, I'm going to check things off on this list because I want to learn how to actually experience my life and push myself out of my comfort zone and do these things. So it turned out, you know, as I found out much later that I'm actually on the asexual and aromantic spectrums, which makes, you know, falling in love and having a one night stand, it makes those a little bit, a little bit complicated. Um, so I don't think I've ever fallen in love and I definitely know that I've never had a one night stand. Um, I also don't drink alcohol. So the get hammered one is problematic too. Um, I don't live near a waterfall. Well, I guess I do now because I'm in Nashville, but 
I have never jumped off a waterfall still. <laughs> um, I have gone on a road trip with friends. That's one that I did check off because I went to a music festival with my friend and it was very, very, very fun. Um, I did eat a whole pizza by myself in one sitting. That was amazing and actually not very difficult. Um, and I did play the left turn game. And when I played the left turn game with my friend Bobby, who I've talked about in several podcast episodes, he was the one I was in a rock band with um, in middle school. When I played a left turn game with my friend Bobby, this was the winter break of my sophomore year of college. It was fun for like five minutes until we were just going in circles the whole time. And it's like, wait, <laughs> isn't this supposed to be like you end up going somewhere spontaneous and do something that you wouldn't have expected that you would have been doing? But literally all we're doing is going around the block a bunch of times. So we're like, ah, oh, well, okay, well, sometimes we'll go straight, but sometimes we'll turn left. And, and eventually there was this intersection where I was like, Oh, oh, yeah, 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 turn left. Like, originally he thought he was going to go straight. I was like, turn left. He didn't realize that there was somebody in his blind spot, and there ended up being a minor car accident as a result of trying to be adventurous and play the left turn game. His car was damaged, and the person he ran into was also their car. Everyone was fine. It was not a huge big deal, but it was... Yeah, I've never played the left turn game since. <laughs> <laughs> so anyways, that's the status on this list. Um, anyway, back to my conversation with Autumn. Martin, I'm deadass saying that this list is going to do more for you than analyzing tension, okay? No, I love no. that shit. I think it's weird that you did it. I would, I would never tell you not to do that. I think that's fucking awesome and super nerdy and so cool. And I honestly want you to send it to me after so I can freak out about it, okay? So moving on from the list, I also want to highlight a story that Autumn shared with me that I've thought about so many times since I had this conversation with her. Don't you want your songs to break somebody's heart? Okay, last night I'm playing around with my friend Kate and Sarah J. McDonald. Sarah J. McDonald's the best country singer that I know here. She's fucking amazing. She came to me once for a call right about half a year ago, fucking crying. She comes in crying. I'm like, what's wrong, SJ? She's crying. She goes, I just played around at, um, not around. She played a gig on Broadway. And she's at this gig, and she does, like, this weekly gig. And she's like, an autumn, it's always, like, men are always bad, but... They were, like, throwing beer bottles and being like, honey, come home with me, screaming dirty shit at her while she was singing. Like, as soon as she got off stage, like, pulling, like, being like, yo, get over here. She's like, it was disgusting. She's like, it was absolutely awful. If I'm a professional. I'm getting paid to sing there, and they do not treat me like a fucking human being. Fucking crying her eyes out. So, I'm like, that's what fucking writing about. Like, that's some real shit. We wrote a song called Hot Damn. And the hook is, when you treat me like a lady, then I'll treat you like a man. And we wrote it, and it's badass. It's totally badass. We played it last night, it's just as badass as I remember it. And after it, and she goes, and that'll hopefully be my single next year. I didn't know that. I didn't know that it was going to be her single. Makes me fucking happy. That's a great fucking song. She's producing it with my friend. So I know it's going to be amazing. He's amazing. You know? But that was out of something real. And here's the thing. When we're writing it, I'm making sure the lyrics make sense. Yeah. I'm making sure the analogy is understood. Yeah. You know, I'm making sure the fucking leading tone and the fucking tone. <laughs> I'm, all the fucking tones are working. You know? Like, 
The syllables are matching. You sh the 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 motifs. Uh, each verse starts. You should have known by the way that I walked in. The second one's like, I should have known by the way that you walked in. That shit lines up. All that shit lines up. You repeat the fucking lyrical motifs. <laughs> you repeat fucking everything. You know, <laughs> like all this shit. Like everything yeah. that you're saying. Yeah. No, I'm no. Probably it doesn't line up perfectly. Yeah. But you'd never notice. Right. It sounds right. It sounds right. You listen to it yeah. and you're like, yeah, that sounds right. Yeah. Nothing sounds out of place. Right. I'm doing all of that shit in my yeah. head. But I'm not saying to her, what are you going to say to a girl that's crying? Oh, wait, I'm not sure if the rhythmic prosody on that line is right. So just a quick note here, when Autumn is saying prosody, that refers to the way that the syllables in the words that are being sung interact with the melody. So basically, if the prosody is off, that means that the syllables kind of force the melody to do something awkward, and it needs to be adjusted in order to flow better, so that the melody will sound a little bit more precise. <laughs> because the end of the day, what matters more, and I know you're not going to agree with me, you're going to say it out loud, but you're not actually going to agree with me to say it. What matters more? That the person feels it mm -hmm. or that the prosody is right. You yeah. think it's the prosody. And I know you do. And don't even lie to me and say, no, it's the meaning. Okay? You can care more about the prosody. Fine. Is your artist going to care more about the prosody? No, she's not going to fucking care about the fucking prosody. Why? Because she's fucking right. It's whether it means something. You can write something that's meaningful and still has the correct prosody. You don't have to compromise the quality of your work for it to be meaningful. You know, like you can spend as much time as you want making songs. I don't give a shit to me. I don't fuck it. If you want, and that whole theory, like four songs a year. Yeah. But that's counting on every song being a hit. So this last point that Autumn made is really important because if I'm just, you know, writing songs by myself and I'm spending three months writing each individual song, then I can only write four songs in a year. And the only way that would be even remotely profitable is if every single song that I write ends up getting recorded and cut by an artist and hopefully turns into a hit, you know, but in the world of music and creativity, there's just, there's so many reasons why any particular song wouldn't work, wouldn't get, you know, cut by an artist, or even if it did, it wouldn't necessarily be a successful single. So there's, there's a very strong argument for quantity, you just you have to write a high quantity of songs and that doesn't necessarily mean it, that you have to compromise the quality you know which is kind of the whole point that autumn is making that you can still write a really really good song in a short amount of time i i, I can't say this isn't how songwriting works yeah. because you write songs and this is how you write them so obviously yeah. that's how songwriting can work for you yeah. do you have fun when you spend 280 hours on a song, are you sitting there like, wow, I love this? Um, I have, it? I do enjoy it okay. when I'm writing a song that I like. I just wrote this song called Refugees, which is pushing my genre. Because yeah. um, I was trying to make it R&B and that ended up not being as fun. But when I'm doing an EDM song, there are two EDM songs that are the songs that I've had the most fun writing in my life. And one of them is the Shut Your Mouth Into Your Job song. 
The other is the uh, skydiving song. You know what? I'm all about writing songs that are hypothetical and out of your experience, but do you write anything that's in your experience? No. Why? Because my experience isn't fun. And immediately after I said, my experience isn't fun, Autumn freaked out and she was like pointing to the list of the things for Martin to do that we were working on. And it's like, this is why you should do these really exciting, really fun things so that you have more experiences to share in your songs that you can talk about directly rather than just writing all of these hypothetical songs. Anyway, at one point in the conversation, Autumn had to go grab her guitar because she wanted to make a point. Okay, ready? Yeah. Have you have an idea? Um, 95. What? 95. Okay. It's out of tune, but... That's okay. Been this way since the 95. Living, 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 all right, oh yeah, Super specific, memorable. Been this way since '95. I've been living it, living it all right. I've been living it, living it all right. Okay, all right there. Been this way since '95. Been. What note is that? That's a B. We're in D, so that's uh, D F A. We're starting on the six, which is why it stands out. Been this way. Yeah, so court. your first your first note stands out. Mm-hmm. I'm sure that's on one of your fucking slides. Been this way since '95, living it, living it all right. Ba ba da. Repetition, living it, living it all right. Guess what? The next syllable count the exact same. Living it, living it all right. Like champagne as the way to survive. I've been living it, living it all right. Living it, living it all right. Like. I don't know, just be loose. That's not the best fucking thing. It's like whatever. Like, I don't know what that is. So Autumn was just coming up with all of that on the fly, and it was really mind-blowing to me because... I just, I didn't think that it would be possible to just spontaneously create something that sounds really, really good, you know? And she's talking about how, you know, her first line, been this way since 95, is already really specific, really memorable. And trying to craft the perfect opening lyric to a song that's extremely specific and memorable, like those were things that I had thought about and things that I spent probably just 10 hours on that step alone, you know? because that's just part of the way that I had incorporated it into my songwriting process, where it would take me so much time, but just to to sit down and be like, okay, let's just throw out ideas. It's time to just jump right in. Like That sort of mentality was so foreign to me, but it's like, wow, okay, I can see how if I'm in a co-writing session and with somebody who's you know maybe a little bit more confident and forward about just throwing out ideas, and also I can get better at throwing out ideas of my own, we can start to like, to just do it you know, to stop overthinking it so much and just throw out ideas and do it. And this was like, (laughs) this was the big thing. This is what was so hard for me to wrap my head around, just being able to let go, to let go of my desire to control everything and have an absolute 100% certainty that this melody is calculated in this exact right way. And it's just, (laughs) it was just 
so much. So much was happening all at once. And Autumn was convincing me. She was persuading me with everything she said. I was like, wow, that's right. And wow, that's right. And wow, I, and. <sighs> Martin? Yeah? I have two mentees. And I wait. One of them was cliche as fuck. I made that bitch sit there. <laughs> and I wrote down, you broke my heart. And I made her write down 10 non-cliche ways to say it. That bitch sat there for an hour and a half. <laughs> She's like, oh my God. I'm like, well, bitch, you better figure it out. You're gonna be sitting in my fucking house all day long. She figured it out. She figured it out. Um, write me a song. You have, I have to leave for class in 19 minutes. First chorus, thank you. So Autumn just handed me her guitar and told me to write a verse and chorus of a song while she went and prepared for her class. And it's like, I don't even play guitar. And I just, I did not expect to go into this conversation and have to write a song. But she ended up actually helping me flesh out some ideas. And we ended up co-writing the beginning of a song together. Obviously, we didn't have time to finish it. But it was just really crazy to work on it together. <laughs> and this is, this is where that ended up. Okay, this is all She's like a four-leaf clover. You have to like bounce. And she's looking my way. Like, it makes me happy. I'm never getting over. And then you go like this. The way she's looking today. The way she's looking today. All those like... She's looking today. The other thing. I'm not a good singer and I'm insecure about that. Who the fuck cares? Just fucking sing your song. It doesn't fucking matter. Yeah. But you're talking like R and B. I'm right now. As soon as I was like, we need this hook. Okay, this hook needs to be R and B. The song sounds R and B. You're talking about R and B earlier, so let's do R and B. The way she's looking today. Those are R and B notes. So you're gonna take the genre melody, yeah. the music theory, and put it in there. But yeah. you're not gonna sit with your co-writer and be like, "How about we put in a? How about we like flat the three and like the way she's looking today?" And like, let's 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 imply a minor four, but not actually play it. You're not gonna fucking say that, okay? I'm thinking that, like, she's like a four-leaf clover. And she's looking my way I'm never getting over How good she's looking today That's implying the four minor, but we're not playing it But I'm not going to say that in a co-rate Because they're going to think I'm a psychopath (laughs) Overall, it just, throughout this conversation And the exercises that Autumn had me do It felt like I was just letting go. I was letting, allowing myself to just give in to the emotion of making music and stop being so pretentious about all of the standards that I held myself to. And it felt really good. And it, I mean, I definitely had a lot of stuff to still grapple with after having this conversation. And of course, I journaled about it a lot. Um, I even, I listened back to the audio recording, like, a couple weeks or so after having this conversation and I just journaled my thoughts and the specific things that Autumn was telling me so that I could fully process everything that had happened. But it was just a really, really good thing for me and it allowed me to become a better person, a more collaborative person in terms of making music and also a more empathetic human being because I was not judging people so harshly for 
for what they decided to do with their songs. You know, it's like, I just, I allowed me to respect other songwriters, which is insane that it took going through all of this to reach that point. But this is my journey. I'm just reflecting on my journey. And Autumn, if you're listening, I want to thank you so much for letting me use this audio recording on my podcast. I really appreciate you giving me permission (laughs) to use this because it is, like I've said, a really important thing to me in terms of how it affected my development. And I'm so grateful that we had the time to do that. So I will get more into how this affected my songwriting in future episodes. Uh, what do I see? I see uh, I see my ace flag. I got an asexual pride flag on Amazon. It's hanging up in my room right now, and it makes me feel so happy because it's just a symbol of accepting who I am and that I'm different and that that's okay. And it's just a really good thing (laughs) for me personally. So, yeah, so that's all. Um, Enjoy yourself and until next time. About how much a hypothetical. Have you? Yeah. Hypothetical. Uh, hypothetical, bitch. No. Uh.